What's up, you guys? Welcome to this week's episode of Bitchopedia. I'm your host, Dee Jones, and this week, back with me again, is everyone's favorite, Kate Neal. Oh my gosh. Hey, guys. I'm glad How I'm back are again. you, babe? Yes, and I'm so excited. I couldn't think of anyone else that I wanted to do this episode with. This is something that I've been wanting to talk about, and basically, we had a moment the other day when I was sobbing drunk broken down with you the other day that (laughs) you gave me a realization that kind of validated everything that I was feeling so this week we're talking about grief and you are a trained professional essentially so I'm kind of counting on you (laughs) she's like hold on now I'm kind (laughs) of counting on you to like help me through this Okay. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, for those that don't know, I'm Kate Neal and I am currently, I have my undergrad in social work and I'm a third of the way done with my master's program. Um, so not quite a trained professional, uh, <laughs> semi-trained uh, professional. Give me to like May and I'll have some laughter. Um, but yeah, so basically we talk about grief a lot because social work we're helping people through difficult times in their life. Um, and so there are different types of grief um, or crises that can arise. And like, those can be like developmental crises. Um, and then that can also be like situational kind of crisis or, um, you know, things like that. So right. we were talking about this the other night and I was like, no, there's different forms of grief. Like, yes. And that's what I want to talk. Yes, that's what I want to cover today because, okay, so this is, we'll start with the definition. Obviously, everyone knows what this is, but the definition that I found online was a mental suffering or distress that is caused by a loss or affliction, sharp sorrow, or painful regret. So the the big aha moment that I had was when we were talking about um, my grieving process that I've been going through, and you were basically like, yeah, babe, grief is not only associated with death, like it doesn't just have to be someone dying. And you basically told me because we were talking about my breakup and specifically how, because it was, I mean, I know I've talked about it on probably every episode on here, but you know, cheating happened and then I was ghosted essentially. So it was just like this person who had been in my life every day, essentially for the last like four or five years or something was just gone, like vanished. And it was this huge part of my life. And I felt like what I was explaining to you was that like, I feel like when I talk about it, that everyone kind of has this like, okay, well, it's, it's time for you to get over it because the anniversary of this situation happening, like the one year anniversary of it coming up is like looming over my head. And I think it's putting a lot of added pressure to myself and like feeling like I'm not like, I feel like I should be on a specific timeline and I'm not. So I kind of brought up to you that it's like, I know everyone, and maybe it's just me projecting, but a lot of times, cause I know I do have a lot of really supportive friends. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes like when I, if I talk about him or tell stories, I feel like people get kind of awkward because it's like, they don't really know how to handle it. But I mean, this man was a part of my life for years and it kind of feels like all of the stories that I have about him that are also my stories. I just can't talk about you know, and it's like, mm-hmm. that was a huge chunk of my life. And now I'm just supposed to pretend didn't exist. Like, yeah, that that doesn't help me. And you basically looked at me and said like, Hey, we as professionals are taught to treat you the same, like clinically the same way as you do a loss. And it was just like, mm-hmm. 
a break. And that's when I broke down and was like, thank you for validating all of the suffering that I have been feeling because I know it's just a breakup that I'm not taking away from people who have other things, you know, horrible, horrible things happen. But this was definitely one of the most difficult things in my life thus far. And I would like uh, to point out just with like a lot of things, people in general tend to, even with themselves, like dismiss the severity of what they're dealing with Mm -hmm. um, because someone else has it worse. But by that logic, someone else also always has it better. Um, And so it's like, it's not really fair. And just like the whole timeline thing, people might have their own preconceived ideas of how long it should take. Now, mind you, if this was a marriage, people might expect you to wait three years before you could date again kind of thing. So it just, it's all- Which is what's crazy. And that's what I try to explain to people is like, I was married- I was with my ex-husband for like 10 years. You know what I mean? Like we went through, I grew up, I have a child with him. I've been through that. This was worse, you know? And I kept trying to be like, I'm not just being a pussy, but like, how do I explain to you guys that like, I'm not, I'm not emotionally weak. I know that about myself, but this fucking shattered me, you know? And I feel like you said people kind of, they compare, but this is what I like to say. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're drowning in five feet of water or 10 feet of water, either way you're fucking drowning, right? Like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how much you're dealing with. If you can't handle it, or if you feel overwhelmed, you feel overwhelmed, you know, despite yeah. what anyone else is going through. It also kind of reminds me of this, like, I like visual representations mm-hmm. or like whatever of that it. Horse. And there was like a picture of like a small wolf, right? That had an arrow in his back and he's selling its parent, like, oh, I'm in so much pain, this arrow hurts. And the parent's still sitting there comforting this child, even though they have like 10 in their back. But they're able to handle the 10, whereas that one is not invalidated because you can handle 10. And that's still pain for the baby that can only handle one too, you know? Exactly, yes. And I also, okay, you talked about the definition of grief earlier. So I do want to throw a little bit more from like my textbook research notes kind of side of it right um so grief can be emotional numbness it can be disbelief separation anxiety despair sadness and loneliness accompanying the loss um and there can be pining and yearning that reflects an intermittent recurrent wish or need to recover what was lost mm-hmm. a preoccupation with thoughts of loss and focus on places and things associated with the loss and crying and sighing and then hopelessness, defeat, depressive symptoms, apathy, loss of activities associated with the loss and growing um, desocialization. And so it's like, even yeah, if that like loss- just, I feel like you just summed up the last year of my life. <laughs> yes, and even if that loss is just a relationship and the person's not dead, but they're not where you can talk to them. Or right. like, even if that's losing a job that you really cared about or losing- uh, having to move out of a house that you grew up in or whatever that loss is, right. it can bring these things about. And it's like, um, I thought it really smacked me in the face when I was talking about like um, your thoughts of like places and experiences with that person or like activities you did with that person that you're like avoid after that because right. it just reminds you of the person. And that goes to the breakups too. Because yes. like you can drive by and be like, oh, that's where we did this. And yes. oh, this I don't song. Even drive down. There's a whole area of our town that I don't drive by because it's where he lives, it's where he works. I just don't even I take the long way home every fucking day. I'm taking a 20 minute drive, 25 minute drive to work. Just so I don't have to pass his like his job and break down in tears, you know, and it's 
ah, it's, it's hard. I'm, I'll say that. And um, it's these, it's great. Yeah. And I know everyone goes through this. So that's why I wanted to cover it. That despite, like you're saying, despite what it is that is causing it, it's all still kind of a similar, um, this, the stages of healing are still pretty similar. Right. Mm-hmm. And so these, I know there are a couple of updated things. I think they've kind of like changed some of the wording. Mm-hmm. The original definitions that I found were like the step, the seven traditional stages of grief, right? These are the ones everyone knows. One, shock. Two, denial. Three, anger. Four, bargaining. Five, depression. Six, testing. And seven, acceptance, right? And we'll go through each one separately, but um, a big thing that I noticed when I was researching was that, um, and this is something we say all the time, healing is not linear, but you can go through these stages multiple times. And sometimes you can regress back to, you know, just because you made a stage three doesn't mean you're not going to go back to stage one or two, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it says that it can take a long time. So this is kind of what you were talking about is like, sometimes people feel like you should be over it, but it said, um, that it could take you up to eight months just to get to the depression stage. So it's normal for you. Like depression is not the first stage, you know, being sad is not the first stage. So it's normal for you not to feel sad immediately. And that's okay. You know, like, don't feel, I know I had a friend that just went through something traumatic and she was like, I don't know, like I, maybe I'm over it. Cause I'm just like, maybe I'm not as invested as I thought I was because I'm just not sad. And then when I was looking through this, I was like, oh fuck, <laughs> she's just in denial. <laughs> Oh no. Oh no. Mm-hmm. So, okay. You want to go through each stage and just kind of discuss, um, what goes on in each stage. Sure. I'm going to be completely blunt with you guys. Um, I just have the five stages of grief. Okay. Um, I think, I think the, um, each one that I go through are, are five stages or maybe not. I don't know, but it's all, you know, it's seven. All- but there was the original seven. Right, right. Yeah, it was originally seven. I think they changed it. I don't know. I have the um, Kubler-Ross from 1969 dying. Right. It's like dying stages of grief, but the dying can be, you know. It's interchangeable. Yeah, it can Okay, be so like we were talking about, <laughs> stage one is shock and denial, right? And this is basically just denying the reality of the situation to avoid the pain and Basically, it says that shock is um, essentially a defense mechanism for your brain to process emotions without becoming overwhelmed, right? Yeah. Which makes so mine, mine is mine also. So my notes that I took on it, it says a temporary defense. It is your temporary defense mechanism because eventually it's followed by increased awareness of the situation, whether that's financial considerations, um, unfinished business, if that's like worry or whatever it may be, it's like just temporary because you cannot hold on to the denial for that long. I like, know, and I wish you could. <laughs> you can have some co- actually cognitive dissonance is a thing that can last a little bit. So you can be in cognitive dissonance and that can maybe stretch out a little longer, but eventually even that you get. Okay. So explain that. that a little bit. Um, basically cognitive dissonance is just, um, the term that means we, as humans, we, when we believe in something, even if you give us evidence that contradicts what we believe, we inherently still want to believe what we believe before. Right. And so it, even with evidence and stuff, you can like, 
dismiss it for a while but eventually that it can your cognitive dissonance can break and you can like be educated on to how things are different so whether that's like I believe that the sky is purple and they're like no clearly this is blue whatever and then eventually you might come to learn terms or whatever you might realize you have a um you know something that makes you colorblind you know what I mean and so like eventually you can get to where you need to go but there's just a time where we innately want to believe what we've always believed was true and challenging that is it doesn't work with cognitive forever yeah yeah well that and I guess that's kind of like um because in my experience of grieving the one that I'm talking about specifically knock on wood I've never had this I've never suffered which I shouldn't even say that because before a couple of years ago, I was like, I feel like I've never really been through anything that terrible. And then God, man, this hit me. So it's like, fuck. but the, the thing that I've been through was cheating. So, I mean, it would, it would be like you finding messages. This is my example, finding messages in this phone. Right. And you see the messages and you're like, oh, well, no, whatever. Or they won't let you look at their phone. And it's like, you can convince yourself. You try to convince yourself, like it's whatever, it's something else. It's not cheating. And then finally it's like, Okay, it's time for you to to take a second, <laughs> take a breath, prepare yourself because it is exactly what you thought it was, right? Or even worse, you can be like, mm, I'm just being paranoid, blah, 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 blah. Yes. Deny it, deny it that way for so long. You're being gaslit by them too, but then you start gaslighting right. yourself. Right. And it's like you deny it for so long. And then if something breaks that, like say the girl comes up to you and was like, no, I fucked your boyfriend and I have a video to prove it. Oh. And you're like, ah. and then okay. you, sit, you have to sit there and you still can be in cognitive dissonance and be right. like, well, maybe that video was actually from when we weren't together because right. they yeah. they could have changed the time mark or right. what if like, well, you She's know what a I mean? liar. Like, yeah. yeah or, or just like, oh, he has a problem with alcohol or, oh, he has an issue with this. And really he just needs help because this is, this shows that he's self-sabotaging kind of thing. You know what okay. I mean? First like you can all, still be in denial. I feel like you're <laughs> reading texts from our text chain. <laughs> I feel so excited right now. I didn't come here for this. I'm here for the healing gate. <laughs> but it's fine. It's fine. And also one of the, because we're talking too about different types of grief, right? And different examples of things that send you through grief. It said um, in the research that I was doing that this is the most important stage of grief after a suicide, right? And I guess that's kind of just to like ease you into the idea, like saying, you know, you keep it keeps you from being overwhelmed. It kind of eases you into the idea of like what you could like basically sending yourself into a spiral of being like, I could have done more or, you know, like I, I should have done this. I should have done that, whatever. And it kind of just like, doesn't that phase of where it, like, it doesn't seem real. You know, you pick up the mm-hmm. phone to call them and mm-hmm. five seconds after you do it, you're like, Oh, I can't, can't, they're not there. I also um, have written down that isolation is associated with the denial period as well. Like, like pulling yourself away yes. from the rest of society yes as well or your yes. friendships or support group or whatever right mm-hmm. which I think I know that's somewhere down in here um because again we're kind of they're all kind of interchangeable um right five and seven stages or whatever but it says for stage one of you know shock and denial is examples of um emotions that you may be feeling during this time are mourning sadness confusion or discomfort 
And discomfort's a big one. That's like a thing. I was, I've been watching TikToks or seeing TikToks lately about how you're supposed to like sit in discomfort, right? And like retrain your brain and it takes a second. Um, and I don't like it, but apparently it's important for healing. So <laughs> who knew? So that brings us to stage two, right? Pain My favorite. <laughs> Love this one. It says after the shock wears off, it is replaced by excruciating pain. Oh, I'm sorry. Mine said anger. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I'm not here for the pain, but the anger though, that I up. can do. That's coming um, up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it says that this one, oh, this is why it's our favorite, the most important stage of grief after cheating because you realize that it was a choice and it was preventable. And then if you throw habitual habit into there, then you're like, oh, it's a pattern too. Oh, not a pattern. <laughs> not a pattern. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, and then again, that brings on feelings of blaming yourself of being like, mm -hmm. you know, why did I let him, he's done this to me before. Why the fuck did I let him do it again? You know, like, and blaming yourself. Because you do have to hold yourself accountable for the decisions we make. However, we're not responsible for the choices they make. But if right. you stay in the environment, right. eventually you have to get out. <laughs> 100% true. Um, mm -hmm. Also, one of the notes here is that it's important not to try to numb the feeling with substances. <laughs> okay. I was talking to, the, to one of my friends about this recently. Um, and for every major heartbreak I've ever gone through, with like one exception, well, like, Mm, you'll get you know what I'm saying yeah, you'll yeah, know yeah. what I'm saying yeah. okay they don't all need to know what I'm saying but right. um after every major heartbreak I go like at, at least a month or two without even getting drunk like I won't even like get drunk like I won't even wow. drink because I know that if I do that when I'm using the substance of alcohol to try to alter my emotional feelings to I'm making more reckless choices when I'm already sad. And three, it can end up with me having a dependency on that substance to try to help cope anytime I feel sad about a situation. So I like will with a family history of addiction. So right. I will not do like, I won't party. I won't do That's like so fucking emotionally mature. I'm actually in disbelief. Can't relate. I started that at 16. At oh my 16, God. I would stop doing it. Yeah, because well, I was like, incredible. okay, because mm, there was that one time that I didn't do that after a breakup and I got really blackout drunk and called my parents to come get me. And I'm like, clearly I was an emotional unstable point and the alcohol did not stabilize that. So, right. Yeah. Alcohol is not really <laughs> an issue for me um, <laughs> because it just makes me more depressed than every it's a depressant. Yeah, facts. so every time, but I, ha I mean, you know, every time I go, we go to, you know, a bar and try to have drinks or whatever, it ends with me sobbing every fucking time. It's depressing. And the other day I worked in a bar, this is just a side story, but uh, I worked in a bar and the other day I was in the bathroom peeing this girl, I'm in the stall and this girl's outside and her friends are giving her this pep talk. Girl, if you're out there, I'm thinking about you. So she's like sitting there sobbing and it's over some fucking dude. So I came out and was like, yo, 
fuck that dude. I was like, don't feel bad. Like, cause she was crying and she was embarrassed. I was like, bitch, all I do is cry in this bathroom. I think I cry every time I come to this bathroom. Like, this is the perfect crying spot. Don't even worry about it. But like, fuck that dude. And her friends were like, yeah, fuck that dude. It's like, I feel for you, girl. But like, yeah, it's just something about the bar environment, like being around drinking really just makes you want to break down and it it doesn't come out in a healthy way you're not processing things in a healthy way like the i mean you do have to have a release of emotions but it's not in like a. but if you crying at the bar it is not a good look not <laughs> like at the, the bar. bar like if you're yeah. literally sitting at the bar with a drink in your hand crying it just doesn't it's not a good look <laughs> yeah i always go to a table in the corner out of respect yeah for, like for at least favorite. excuse yourself to the restroom or the corner exactly. you know or to the walking cooler that's where <laughs> all the best crying happens <laughs> That is my favorite. I just need to yes. start, like, if I'm sad at random bars, be like, can I stand in your walk-in? It's where I feel safe. <laughs> yes. Restaurant industry knows. Okay. Y'all know. Um, so, Thank yeah. You. So, don't turn to substances. I know it's easier said than done, but that is an important thing not to try to do. I hope to one day, which I did, to, to be fair, this was, like I said, almost a year ago. So, within probably, it was probably four months later, I was like, yeah, I'm not doing anything. I'm not smoking. I'm not doing anything um to, to I mean essentially no, there's no other better word for it to numb the feelings and to like put off dealing with this shit because eventually it stops working too you know and then you're just like fuck now I'm five months in and I've done nothing no healing yeah. nothing productive and has happened I would also like to put a disclaimer in if you choose to do substances during this time Please be smart and safe and educated with how you get home. If you stay hydrated, how much to take, et cetera, et cetera. Because if you're going to use substances, do it smartly. Okay. I just want to disclaimer. Right. <laughs> and there are better substances than others. So like, you know, there's a couple of them I wouldn't completely rule out. You can smart. go on Google Scholar and, and Google some research articles. Yeah, You'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> really, um, if you're going to do drugs, be smart about it please <laughs> um okay so emotions that are or examples of emotions that are associated with this stage are going to be sadness guilt which is a huge one for me um desperation and betrayal and honestly I relate the most to this one I think <laughs> this this stage really resonates with me <laughs> you know I would like to can I can I add on an agony because that's my most felt emotion it's like agony and like um breathtaking anxiety yes. that like takes Gut away any wrenching. need to eat or anything too yeah yeah yes. yeah that. yes yes <laughs> in a, in a, a windowless room huge fan 10 out of 10 recommend i'm kidding don't do that i'm that's not that's not healthy advice that's satire okay so that moves on the desperation kind of bleeds into the next stage which is the anger and bargaining Everyone knows that stage. That's the, why is this happening to me stage? Or if you bring them back, I'll stop drinking. I'll never drink again if you just bring them back. I'll never do this if you just, <laughs> Kate's jaw's on the floor right now. <laughs> I know, I know because I've done it. And like talking <laughs> to the universe, like, please, I will do anything. I don't care. I'll never cuss again. Like, no, the universe well, doesn't. <laughs> the universe doesn't believe that for a second that's why it doesn't work they're like Bitch, we know you're lying but this is basically the stage when you want to place blame on someone right see i have written down um because to me this is the second one you know my fave it's right. uh, when it recognizes that denial cannot be maintained 
and Oof. often gives way to anger, resentment, rage, and envy. And then anger may be displaced and projected even on God or the people around you. And it's the realization of loss is great. So you're start, you're realizing, oh shit, this is actually gone. Like I, I've actually right. lost this connection. I've lost this person. I've lost this thing or whatever, you know? Right. And yeah, no, when I get to the anger stage, that's how I know I'm getting somewhere good because right. I am in I it takes a lot to get me to my angry stage and my therapist a little free therapy advice yes my therapist told me because my mom would be like you're so angry all the time what are you doing with it which is why I'm now a social worker but I was like my therapist told me she's like your anger is not bad and I was like what do you mean I've been taught my whole life especially as a woman raised in as a woman in society that my anger is always bad and there's no good way to have me be angry and and she was like, your anger is good. It's the part of you that recognizes the way that you're being treated is not okay or acceptable and that it's bad for you and that you deserve better. That's what your anger does. Which, by the way, makes complete fucking sense why a patriarchal society wouldn't want you to feel anger because it's like, yeah, hey, this is fucked up. I shouldn't be treated this way. Like, hey, how about you shut the fuck up and take it? <laughs> you know, yes. like, that makes complete sense. And that's another thing too, in this like spiritual journey I've been on, which there are, I say, t- I talk about TikTok a lot, but there are actually really good, like professional, like licensed people on there. So you can't use it. Yes, you can use it as a valid resource. Okay. But they talk a lot about, um, how that like, um, not personification, but the idea that of good and bad doesn't really mm-hmm. exist. Right. That we place, um, polarization. Yes, that we place this bad uh, label on anger or sadness because you're not supposed to feel those. Like, God forbid you feel anything but existential happiness all the time. Like, no. And, and success it is, and money. Yes. <laughs> yes. And just like, chin up. Only only failures give up. Like, no, I'm not giving up. I'm just fucking sad. Can you just let me be sad? And I know, like, this is something I need to work on too because when people are sad, my go-to is to try to cheer them up. But a lot of times I've realized while I'm sad, people try to cheer me up. It's like, I don't want to. Thank you. Like, I get it. I can't wait for that. What is it? It's called toxic positivity. (sighs) Tell me more. Okay. So this made so much sense in my life. It's when people are sad and they can be genuinely sad. They can like, uh, you know, from environmental factors or whatever, or they could be sad for mental illness or they could be Mm -hmm. sad for whatever fucking reason they want. Right. Right. And like, they're sad and you're like oh don't cry it's gonna be okay you're gonna be fine like you know but be grateful for what you have and it's like yes those things can be useful and helpful but if someone's like really sad or like lord forbid like has depression and you're sending them telling them that you're being toxically positive instead of being like wow I hear that you're in pain, right? Like I hear that you're in pain and I hear that this is really hard for you. And I'm sorry, this sucks. This sucks, but I'll be here if you want to talk and you have like a support system, like by offering like options and validating their feelings and then responding that way is far better than being like, well, keep your chin up. You're going to be fine. Like, don't, I don't know why you're so stressed about this. Like, you know, yes. And by the way, that's exactly what you did. Like the night that I was breaking down, I, I mean, I had already been like whatever in my feelings and that, that was just like a rough week of a lot of things happening, you know, and people kind of just telling me like, it's going to be okay, which feels on my end dismissive, 
of yes. my feelings and my pain. So it's like, okay, I, I know it's going to be okay. I know in my mind, I know that being cheated on and losing the love of my life is not going to take the oxygen from my fucking lungs. Okay. I realize it is not going to kill me, but that does not mean that it doesn't fucking suck. Okay. And I'm going to feel it for a little while and I don't care. I'm getting to the point now where it's like, yes, I'm sorry that my sadness makes you uncomfortable. I know that usually I'm the fun, you know, whatever, like fun person to be around and I've got jokes or whatever. And I know it might be weird for you to see me sad, but also I cannot care anymore. I cannot come up here to work or wherever and put on this fake mask of happiness because it's doing nothing for me. It's not genuine. It's making things worse for me, actually, you know, like I need to sit in this for a minute. So just like, you know, and for you to look at me and be like, cause it really, well, I mean, that was like a monumental moment of change for me, honestly. Like when you said, I feel like I'm, I feel like I could get choked up. What the fuck is wrong with me? But when you were like, yeah, babe, like, yeah, you're grieving. It's, 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 it's the same process, you know? Like, I was like, wow, thanks. Because I feel like everyone is like, like even one of my best friends, from whatever who has been there for me with all of this shit we haven't talked in a couple months we spoke and I told her that I wasn't over it I was like I'm nowhere I'm I feel exactly the same as I did the day he broke up with me as far as like loving love for him and unconditional love you know what I mean like it's like I haven't moved on at all and she was like Jesus Becca like I was like I know I know but I mean when I think about like when I look at the stages I've kind of moved through them right I'm getting to like acceptance it's it still makes me sad you know but like I'm getting to the point where it's like, okay, well, if it is, it is what it is kind of thing. I'm still going to process and be sad, but I mean, it's okay to still love them. You know what I mean? That's what I I was telling you. Like, I didn't choose this. I didn't want to stop loving him. I would have spent the rest of my life with him. You know, like. I understand. (laughs) Yes. Like, so to get blindsided and for you to be like, yeah, it's the same thing as not the same. I'm definitely, I don't want to, when I say this, I don't want to invalidate the grieving process of death, you know, because that, I understand it is completely different. Or, and for the record, death being either a parent, a spouse, a child, a right. miscarriage, whatever version that comes in. Yeah, no, it's different with that kind of loss, but at the same time, not that different. Right. Because if you've really had a severance with a relationship, then it's, it's, it's obviously not the same as death. I'm not invalidating that right. either, but like, right. it's the it's the death of your relationship with that person. And a lot of yes. situations, they might as well be dead to you because they're not yes. talking to you. You don't know where they're at or if they're yes. even okay or anything. And so it's like that complete loss of knowing exactly. and connection and communication and trust and everything else is already like, yes. Yeah. And I was talking to one of my friends about this the other day, because we're kind of going through similar situations. And I was like, yeah, it's sometimes like, cause I don't see him. Like I said, I, I avoid that part of the, the town, you know what I mean? So I don't see him. I don't look up anything on social media. We'll talk about that later too. I don't do any of that stuff. Um, so it felt like, I remember sitting and thinking one day, like, it just feels like he is not in my universe anymore. And it's fucking sad because there are other people who can see his activity. There are friends of mine who know what's going on in his life that I don't know. And it, it is, disheartening because like yeah he's existing out there maybe somewhere but sure shit doesn't feel like it you know like Mm -hmm. and it's almost which I've got notes about this too it's almost worse I feel like because they're out there it's not maybe not worse but different because they are out there and you could contact them but you can't you know what I mean like they could he could just reach out he could just send me a fucking text and be like hey and that's oh and that's the kicker too because it's like 
what if they reach out to you then what yes. you do and you have to decide what's best for your own self instead of what you desire or yes. you're still longing for or whatever yeah yes no, it's you, like you an open about- it's an open-ended like rather than closure it's kind of open-ended which for me doesn't I don't operate like that you know we're mm-hmm. Virgos and- you don't do that yeah no and like you had talked about bargaining with the anger as well and so um we basically have the same points on that but like bargaining and relationships to can be like well I know you did this but if you can go to counseling or if you can do this or if you'll give me your password to your phone or if you'll do this that and another oh you're going to share your location with me okay well that makes me feel better like bargaining in terms of like how you can keep trust or try to maintain the relationship past the point where you've already gone through denial and then you've accepted what's happening and then you're trying to set like new boundaries, quote unquote, for how you can bargain to keep the relationship anyway. Like, Yikes. yeah. Because that can go a whole different pathways that can go, well, if you can't not cheat on me. Th- and by, for the record, this was not my situation when it came right. to polyamory, but like, um, like, oh, okay. I do know people that are like, oh, my boyfriend won't not cheat on me. So I just said that he can sleep with whoever he wants so that we can be together kind of thing. Right. Like that, straight up, I know people that have said that to their partners and I'm like, right. Like my, my perception would be like, yeah, if you could tell me about it first or something, if we have, right. if I'm not left out of the situation, blah, blah, whatever, but like whatever kind of bargaining that is, or like, oh, they tell you, oh, I'll be monogamous with you now because, it, you know what I mean? I want you to be right. able to trust me again. They can bargain with you too when it's a situation of a relationship. That's true. Yeah, them bargaining to keep you around. Um, mm-hmm. And another, I don't remember if I read through these, the, the uh, examples of emotions were anger, resentment, bargaining, and stubbornness. Stubbornness is like, for me, like the refusal to, I guess, move on to the next stage. Right. And like refusal to give it up and let it go was my stubbornness of being like, no, like I know what I want. So fuck, fuck the healing process. You know, like I, I love this person. I want to be with them. So no, I'm not doing it. I'm not giving up. I'm just going to sit right here and wait for him and just stare at my phone until he comes back. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And then, okay. So that leads us into stage four, which is I don't know. This one might be my favorite too. Depression, reflection, and loneliness, right? (laughs) This is what we were talking about with, this is the stage, usually the stage where your friends think you should be quote unquote, getting over it. And like we were talking about, um, encouragement from outsiders is not helpful during this stage. I know you think that you can talk me out of this, but in fact, you cannot my I have written attempts to cheer up or not encourage because of the need to contemplate the impending circumstances we literally need time to sit in our doom like right. <laughs> let me be depressed let me let me feel like book. shit like yeah and I know it's hard but I feel like that is a staple like characteristic of a true friend is someone who because a lot of times people people will be like you know I don't want to be around them like they're a bummer you know, and I have a lot of friends who, who say that to me that are like, they're going through shit and they're like, I'm sorry, I'm such a downer. Like, what? We don't have to be like, I'm, you know yeah, what I mean? You're so funny. Yeah. Like, like no. a real friendship doesn't have to be like that all the time. We're not going to be like, oh, let's get turned up. Like, no, yeah. let's, let's cry together. But let's put on a sad ass movie and just cry. Let's paint um, and sob. 
shout out to my friends. Shout out Michaela in particular. This bitch knew how I was like, I'm, I can't today. I'm not doing shit today. I can't. I don't want to. I'm not. And so she just showed up at my door with two bottles of wine, um, Asian takeout. Um, yes. I think she brought like chocolate candy, um, some other goodies. <laughs> things yeah and just hung out and hung out with me and just talked if I wanted to sat there in silence if I didn't want to what do you want to watch what do you want to do blah 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 and then like when my and I was like I'm so grateful for this but then I realized when my friends are sad I'll do similar shit or I'll like my friend was sad the other day and I wrapped her in a blanket and put my squishmallow in her lap, petted her hair and then put on a kid's cartoon movie. And I was like, here you go, baby. You can take a nap if you want. Right. Like, Isn't it beautiful that's when how... that's reciprocated? Yes. You it's know, like, like... So that's that's OK. Like if you want to help your friend, you can be like, I know you're sad and I know you like this candy or you do you want fuzzy socks on your feet or what? Right. You know what I mean? Like offering things that acknowledges they're sad right is okay right but don't be like come on champ put your chin up and run yeah (laughs) yeah cheer up buttercup i knew a girl in high school who used to say that and made me want to punch a hole in her fucking face i hate like you're saying this is this is probably something you need to work on but happy people someone triggered me okay i don't fucking trust you so being like cheer up buttercup like how about how about you fuck off no that's not me as a person to begin with so shut the fuck up but also like i'm sad so let me wallow in self-pity for a minute let's add us to the list of things becca needs to talk to her therapist about it's fine (laughs) can we also just say for a second before we were getting started i was telling kate (laughs) i was telling kate how i like to tell my cat Coraline that she's my prisoner a lot and that i want her to get stockholm syndrome and she was like babe (laughs) not okay <laughs> don't say that <laughs> I was like, becca that's no you talk to the therapist about that <laughs> okay hold on let me get my pen and paper because i feel like every time i talk to you uh not every time but you know like, in a way, every time i talk to you and i say things you're like mm-hmm, yeah that's um that's a trauma response <laughs> yes. yeah that's uh that's my healthy and i'm like oh Okay. Uh, this is kind of a sidetrack because we always do this. Um, but sidetrack, I took a day trip to New Orleans because I was in the depression stage of grief and yes. um, I needed to go into a little denial isolation yes. stuff, I guess. And so I'm just sitting on the boardwalk in New Orleans painting and I don't, I'm not going to make assumption. There was one homeless man or there was one man that did not appear to have housing and appeared to have some mental health issues. And that was interesting. But then there was another man that I was like, ah, you could have housing and you could have mental health issues. Not positive. Um, But he was like talking to me and I was just like, oh, shit, where did it go? This is how my ADHD brain works. I'm like, what did you just say to me? Trauma response. Trauma response. He goes, Oh, because he kept being like, I'm so sorry. I don't want to bother you. Um, but I just knew he wanted like to talk to someone, right? Like this right. was going through something. He had been walking around talking out loud to himself for a while. And so I figured he was, he could be just processing some shit out loud, you know, kind of like I was processing. Right and so he came up to me and was like, I don't mean to bother you. 
blah blah and then ended I ended up talking to this dude for like at least an hour um but he was like sorry I just kind of like information dump or share overshare he said oh are you aware that that's actually a trauma response that we we are traumatized so we information dump which can be um, neurodivergent behavior as well. Or we like overshare with people because we've had our relationships like fucked up so many times. And we've had so many like instances where we haven't felt connected to people or community that we then overshare with people to try to have a deeper connection with them. So we feel somewhat related to and connected with the world, even if we just met them. It's a trauma response, so my jaw is on the fucking floor (laughs) kate i'm realizing my entire personality is a drunk (laughs) yeah no welcome to the dark side baby it's called (laughs) self-awareness and it's a bit (laughs) oh my god yeah no hanging out with you always kind of um not, not in a bad way at all but it kind of feels like a therapy session you know what I mean? But like in a good way of being like, oh, fuck. All right. I'm going to do some, um, some internal digging when we're done with this. You're not, you're not my only friend that's told me that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I could, I could have made a lot of money with therapy money already. If I just had that damn license, um, right? but I'll it's give coming. you time to process and I'll read what I have on depression. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so depression accepts the certainty of the loss uh with depression or preparatory grief um and that could be preparing to die or it could be preparing to end like a relationship right because a lot of times we stick in some stuff before we're actually ready to be able to cut it off so Uh it's accepting that um and then it you may become silent refuse visitors and cry and grieve during this time and then it the attempts to cheer up are no go that was already read out but we don't do right. that you know yes. um, and that so that, that goes that goes with what I have here is that this is basically when you're realizing the magnitude of your loss and that you may isolate yourself because of feelings of emptiness and let me tell you mm-hmm. this is a, a double-edged sword two-sided point right all right so what you were saying earlier I wanted to point out as well good supportive friend coming over doing all those things is amazing and I have definitely been I have definitely needed that for most of my life. However, I'm moving into this new weird stage where I don't know, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm, I might be becoming okay with being alone and sitting by myself because yes, I, it is a danger. I know a lot of people who do this too. They sit in, they sit by themselves and they want to be alone and whatever, but then it turns into a dangerous place to be right. But also I want to say for, if you are the friend of someone who is grieving, doing all those things that your friend did is amazing. And there's a time and place for it, but there's also a time and place for, um, you to be okay with them being alone. Right. And not, not being upset with them. If they can't hang out with you and being like, they haven't talked to me in three months. Like, yeah, well, they're going through some shit. So stop, stop thinking everything's about you. You know, don't take everything so personally right? Like it me, I have to explain that to people all the time. I'm like, no, I like literally just had this conversation. I'm like, no, I like you as a person. No, I want to be your friend. No, I like hanging out with you. I think you're cool. And they're like, I haven't heard from you. And you were just this, that I'm like, I'm just depressed. Like (laughs) just the depression. depression Um, 
and the ADHD object permanence is hard and then I'm like depressed and so then I just like can't pick up my phone because that takes a lot of energy and then there's the anxiety too and so I like to yeah I'll just fall off the radar every once in a while if I'm like taking a nosedive into the sadness yes it is so (laughs) funny you say it too because my friend who I said is going through the same thing as me she we it's a relative we've known each other for a long time we work together but we're becoming closer friends now and the other day she was basically saying like we are going to be great friends because you will like triple quadruple eight time text me. And that's a good thing because I have ADHD and I forget an object permanence is a real thing. So if it's not in front of me, I'm going to forget. And I was like, bitch, I will send 50 texts in a row. I We're the perfect match, babe, because I've got no shame in lighting your shit up with 150 texts in a row. Which works for us too, because you'll be exactly. asking me something. And you're like, do you want to film? And it'll be like, five days before and I'm like I can't tell you that I don't fucking know yes yes I know that I need to send a reminder morning before day of and then like 10 minutes before and it's fine but you always pull through you know like you can count on you yeah yeah yeah, but that that is um that is that's another thing too this I know this is kind of off track but they were talking I saw a TikTok the other day that this girl was talking about (laughs) objects she's talking about object permanence and how breaking up is so much easier when you have or getting dumped is so much easier when you have ADHD because like all you have to do is just like unfollow them on social media and you low-key kind of forget about them because like they're not right in front of you you know it's like can't relate because I fixate to things you know I wish that were the case for me but unfortunately you've got got lots of other disorders though that mix in there you know like you're right I do have it's like a cocktail yeah there's like a fucking cocktail of shit okay yeah and there maybe the OCD is the problem for this or maybe it's the PTSD because the trauma (laughs) because it's like if you cheat on me and break my heart that's a traumatic event to me like I am traumatized right well this girl also could have been in stage one of the grieving process when shock and denial so maybe she was just in denial and hasn't gotten there yet right yeah because okay, trauma so, right. <laughs> um and then examples of this uh, emotions during this stage are depression these are very like strange adjectives but very on point uh depression heavy crushed frustrated which I feel all of this heaviness is a big one for me like just mm-hmm. I feel like I need to just like <laughs> I'm gonna meditate after we get done with I'm this. pulling like, out this crystal actually yeah. you just said that and I was like I need my crystal <laughs> <laughs> we're pulling out our selenite like what the fuck oh you okay, have your so, crystal out too I would yes, just like to point out uh, every podcast I've got them before okay, so, I knew we were doing this but I'm holding it up like they can see me this right. is an audio podcast but before um we I knew we were doing this this week I got a trauma and grief healing crystal so <laughs> It was part, we were channeling. We were really tapped in this week oh or this God. month. Okay, so this is the good part though. You ready? We're getting to the good part of the grieving stages. Yes. Stage five, the upward turn. You start to adjust to life without this person. Maybe this is where I am. It's basically the light at the end of the tunnel stage. Like you're not there yet, but you realize, like I said earlier, like now I know I'm not going to die. Before, definitely thought I was gonna die I thought I was gonna die of a broken heart and I've never felt that way in my entire life like fuck it's hard right but Mm -hmm. um the examples of emotions that you feel during this are strengthened motivated 
were awakened. And I love that it said awakened because like I said, this kind of sent me into a spiral that I needed to start my like spiritual awakening and come mm-hmm. into terms with, I'm going to say spiritual awakening just so everyone's clear. It's not like, the, it's not necessarily religious. I wouldn't say that I'm like a religious person as far as like organized religion. It's basically more just like awakened to yourself and who you are and your purpose and learning, you know, self-awareness and things like that. So for acceptance, I have developed a sense of peace and acceptance of the, your fate often is a desire to be left alone which I love that yes and then feelings and physical pain may be virtually absent um which I think is crazy because it's almost like you numb back out again like you did in the denial stage if you right. think about it because your feelings of physical pain and stuff because I don't know about you I get in physical agony yes. from my like depression and yes. or anxiety whatever especially about grieving like physical pain happens mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. how I'm feeling, which is like scientifically backed up. Really. Right. Um, but, and it says feelings into, um, it's your final resting stage. So it's like the, the stage where you're supposed to like chill, but to touch back on what you've already said, it's not a linear process and right. there's rapidly changing emotions and challenges of getting new skills, detecting personal weaknesses and limitations that shit sucks when you have to start analyzing yourself and your own weaknesses and limitations, yeah. which putting you back in the cycle or right. like, you know, what yeah, you can handle before, with that. I just blame him and that was way easier. Yeah. Not to have and to accept creating, any responsibility. It also can take such a long time and not be linear because you have to be creating new behavior patterns for yourself. And this is for any type of grieving. Mm-hmm. And then you're in the process of forming new friendships and relationships. And so that all can take a long time and any yes. of those little can trigger you to regress back to like exactly exactly and that the ones you said is basically a combination here that I have of stage six and seven stage six is reconstruction and working through which is basically what you're talking about like you're rebuilding your subconscious and like rebuilding your brain and the way it's operating as, as well as rebuilding um a life without them which is really sad to even think about I think I just sent myself back and the depression stage but basically during stage six you begin to feel more functional your brain starts to operate more clearly because you know depression causes like cloudy brain and all that scientific stuff that we're talking about that actually has like a neurological effect on your body Mm -hmm. and your brain it's a real thing Um, and then that leads you into uh, acceptance which is you're learning to accept and deal with your new reality you cannot return to the version of yourself that you were before the loss but you start to find a way forward which so important, I think, because, you know, they say about like your spiritual journey or your spiritual awakening, they say that it's a one-way ticket. Like you can't go back to the person you were. And I feel like grief is kind of the same way of like, you're never going to be, you know, if you lose a child, you're never going to be the same person again, ever. You can't be, how could you? Yeah. Because you basically learn to operate um, and find a way to move forward. And it says the pain lightens and the sadness becomes more bearable and less gut-wrenching. And you begin to anticipate good times, right? So it's basically you just becoming like hopeful. You don't necessarily have to be completely fixed. You know, I don't know that you ever become fixed, but you you have hope that you are going to be able to have fun again without feeling guilty, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, well, I'll wrap it up with this. Um, 
well, I guess we can talk to a little bit about what you can do. But the um, what, it, when I was researching, I looked, and it's interesting you brought up New Orleans because this talks about New Orleans. And this is a podcast I haven't listened to yet because I just found this last night. Um, but it's called The One Who Got Away Podcast. And it's Oliver Blank was an artist who's from New Orleans. And when he was in, it was after Hurricane Katrina, he was walking and saw um, painted on the wall in like cursive letters. It said, what would you say to the one who got away? And it basically inspired this interactive art project. So I guess they had like a number where these people would call in and just share their stories of what they would say to people who got away. And here are a couple of them that I found. Um, you were the one that got away, my perfect man, and someone's going to get to spend the rest of their lives looking up to your beautiful face and it won't be me. Spiral. <laughs> And then the next one says, every night you're in my dreams, it's gotten to the point where I don't want to wake up. Right? These are like heart-wrenching, but basically they, um, they call and share. It's basically united in trauma in like a podcast form too of these people like calling and sharing their stories. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like inspirational or helpful, but like it at least lets you know you're not alone, right? Um, and then it says that this is what we were talking about. When people talk about a breakup, they often use the same language as when someone dies. Uh, I think this is the guy who the, the artist was saying this. And he says, I think it's because we have a relatively limited range of words for communication when it comes to loss. Mm. Um, okay, well, I'm not teared up or anything. So <laughs> what you're talking about um. <laughs> no I'm so sorry I'm, I'm about to send us back to stage one over here yeah I'm um, crying it's fine um <laughs> it's fine and honestly I've got enough we might just have to do a part two yeah because I've got so much stuff that we need to talk about yes I agree um also I'm going to throw in some more of my science facts stuff um Tell me. and so in responses to significant loss, uh, bereavement, which is like we're talking about bereavement, financial ruin, losses from natural disaster, yada, yada, mental illnesses, medical, whatever, all, any of the things um, may include feelings of intense sadness, rumination about the loss, insomnia, poor appetite and weight loss um, that can resemble major depressive episode. Um, but they might be understandable or considered appropriate to the loss um which I think is interesting so like when so they have to have um, exercise clinical judgment with the history and norms and stuff like that when they're de diagnosing major depression because you can get it if it's more than what is it um yeah if it's over two weeks if you have like five of these symptoms for major depression you can be di diagnosed right but if you're going through a breakup right and it's been over two weeks you might not be able to get major depressive diagnosis because or major depressive episode because you're in a bereavement and loss stage. Um, and so long-term grief, um, usually symptoms subside and it becomes easier to heal, move on, deal with the grief. Um, but many spouses or committed partnerships say that they, that time has allowed healing, but they have not gotten over it and they've just learned to live with it. And right. so that's in relation to, to like partnerships between people that are like together, which I thought was interesting. And then there is complicated grief or prolonged grief disorder, which is after six months after the loss, 
they're unable to move on. They're still numb or detached. They believe life is empty. They're, they don't think the future has any meaning. Um, and it has really bad negative mental and physical health consequences. Like, like we were talking about, you can get physically ill from yeah. the grief. Yeah. Um, and so it was 40% of people that were diagnosed with complicated grief or prolonged grief disorder. Um, they reported grief related full or limited panic attacks weekly. So mm-hmm. at least like once a week, they were having a panic attack regarding, or some version of a panic attack regarding the situation. And they uh, you're at a greater risk for um, developing that mm-hmm. if the loss is someone that you were emotionally dependent on. So to have prolonged grief, you're more likely to have that if the person that you've lost this connection with is someone that you were emotionally dependent on. Like, a, so a let's say, for example, someone, definitely not me, but someone <laughs> was super codependent they might struggle <laughs> after a breakup more more than the normal person yeah mm-hmm. yeah so so in your advice right i would say i mean i don't i don't know this i'm asking um <laughs> don't you you would have to heal like you're also going to have to heal from the grieving process but you have to kind of work on your codependency issues first right and kind of heal that in order to like <laughs> So, okay. So to be fair, I feel Mm -hmm. the need, I always feel the need to put like disclaimers. So I feel like honestly, the the term codependent is way overused in our society. And this is just my personal opinion. Right. Um, Because traditionally the term codependent was developed in regards to substance use and dependency, substance misuse and dependency and how family members responded to their family that had these dependencies. So originally it was used in that context of supplying drugs, supplying this, that, and another. Mm-hmm. And now a lot of times it codependency can be referred to people within relationships. Mm-hmm. And yes, there is a line where you can become um, too reliant on another person or this, that, and another, right? Like mm-hmm. clearly there can be times where you're overly dependent on a person. Mm-hmm. However, the term codependent implies that it's bad to be dependent on other people to have like a support system and where that can apply when it comes to like drugs and substances and whatnot like obviously right the the enabler that was codependent would be allowing them to purchase the drugs and use the drugs and covering up their mistakes that came from that right Mm -hmm. but in the context of relationships scientifically we are all designed to co-regulate with the individuals that we have deep emotional connections with. Women can sync up their menstrual cycles. You you know what I mean? As a society, humans are where we're at now because we can communicate and use tools and work together to get things done, okay? Like, that's why we have power in our houses. And so we are innately codependent as human beings. So it's not necessarily wrong to be dependent on other people. It's just when you're overly dependent on those people to give you needs that you can fulfill for yourself. Um, or right. if the people you're giving, you're being dependent on aren't capable of giving you what you require. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in that situation, you would definitely have to go through the grieving process. And then in the future, be mindful of who you're seeking these relationships out with. Or as my therapist says, you're not being judgmental or mean just because you won't have a close, intimate relationship with someone that has major problems going on. Like that doesn't make you judgmental or mean. If you're like, no, I don't want to date you or be your best friend because you have a lot of shit you're dealing with. Like, she's like, you don't judge them. 
you still treat them with basic human decency. You're still kind to them. You could still interact with them, but you do not let them get to that. Like you were saying in your TikTok, you don't let them get a black card right your emotional availability because you should keep them at that distance and you're not being mean or judgmental for being like wow you clear like wow I think you're an abuser let me try to help you no like it's not mean for you to be like I should keep my distance and protect my energy so it's like being able to set that up yes set boundaries for yourself and realize this is I'm talking to myself to realize that you're not um it is not your job to fix everyone you are not the world's healer, you know, like, and man. you can, they, you can only help someone who wants help. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, I know we're going to have to do a part two because I've got so much other stuff I want to talk about, um, you know, feeling breakup versus death a little bit more. And then also the effects of social media that they have on, um, the grieving yeah. process. So I think we're just going to have to do a part two and you'll have to come back next week so we can finish that. Okay. Believe me, I got a lot to say about the social media, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Cannot wait. Okay. Well, we'll do um, part two next week and we'll wrap it up. And then um, is there any, are there any resources we can give a quick plug? I know we'll talk about it a little too next week, but are there any resources just if someone's listening now that they could use for like grief counseling or any recommendations or anything that you have as far as that goes? So to be completely honest, I think that's in my resource guide somewhere in my computer that I don't have pulled up at the moment. However, um, there are grief counseling groups and a lot of um, churches and a lot of community centers and whatnot. And you guys that are listening are from all over the place. So Mm -hmm. um, you can just look into that. They'll have um, probably support groups, um, group therapy, group counseling. There's also grief counselors like a therapist that you can go to um, that specifies in these things Um, and in my opinion if you know what your biggest problem is when you start going to therapy get you a therapist that specializes in that so get you a trauma grief therapist if that's what you need to deal with your relationship Um, and then there's a bunch of resources like I said earlier you can go on google scholar and look up some stuff about how um, to cope with it as well but also online forums there's like a lot of online forums where you can go and talk with other people that have shared similar experiences to you as well so right. i don't have like my typical resource list right here for That's you guys okay. we but... can do we'll do that next week because i know we're going to talk yeah. a lot about like how to communicate with people who are grieving and things like that too so um yeah so you'll be back for part 2 next week and thank you so much for coming on today I feel like we got so much valuable information just like I feel like every time you come on here you just have so much knowledge to share with us (laughs) I'm gonna have you all in your feels today yes I'm already feeling vulnerable (laughs) I know look we're both gonna go we're not gonna we're not gonna do substances we learned that and we are not gonna deal with this in an unhealthy way Right. We're going to have support <laughs> systems and friends. And yeah, speaking of, I'm sure you're going to FaceTime me after this. So, of course. Yeah. We're going to do <laughs> You don't post- just leave your friends after talking about traumatic friends. Exactly. You have to do a exactly. follow up. Okay. Yeah. Kind of don't like- just bail. That would be me trauma dumping on you. I'm bailing. And that's a trauma response. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this in here too just to make it a little spicy um the same way that you're supposed to have aftercare after you have sex with someone which a lot of people aren't aware about 
aftercare, especially if you're doing some kinky stuff, aftercare afterwards is so important. And so it's the same thing. Becca can't just leave me alone with my emotions after we do this. She has to give me aftercare. Like <laughs> we were okay, just well, emotionally involved. So I'm glad that you just said that because you just taught me something else and we're going to have to have a conversation. You didn't about know that? I do. At first. <laughs> I thought I told you that already. <laughs> I, know, I, do. I know, I know, I know. I do remember you saying like, yeah, they shouldn't just fuck you and bail. I do remember that. Yep. You know, it's that might really, be living in the yeah, it's literally a part of it, but it's funny. Yeah, okay, well, next we're going to talk about my choice of men. <laughs> oh, guys, no, we should have another fun call. sex episode or something later. because I feel like we'd be giving them all the content these days, but oh yeah, thank no, you guys for listening to us. I know. Yes, thank you for joining <laughs> us, and we will be back next week, okay? Bye. Bye.